0: is the word of the lord thank you so much Abe. well praise the lord it's so good to gather together and one of the things i love is and one of the things that convinces me that the word of god is the word of god the scriptures the bible is none other than inspired of god written by god given to us by god and one of the things that uh, so often impresses that upon my heart is the structure of it you know after uh, john chapter 13 comes of course john chapter 14 You know, in John chapter 13, Jesus has been talking to his disciples, and he's given them, again, some very, very, what I would say, heavy truths. He's talked about his going away, and uh, if you look a little earlier in the gospel, it's uh, quite apparent what he's talking about. He's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about his ultimate ascension that happened to begin in heaven. And they're going to go through this world with all of the trials, with all of the travails, without their beloved master that happens to begin with them. But not only that, uh, they're told in chapter number 13 that one in their midst, one of the 12, is going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going to forsake the rest of the 11. And you can imagine how that weighed upon their hearts, you know, who it was, who would betray them, who would they be left without. And not only that, but one of their own, one of the leaders that happened to begin in this early band of 12, uh, Peter, will deny the Lord Jesus Christ in that very night three times. And you can think of it, again, after these truths are presented one after another after another, how much worry, how much anxiety must have come over them? You know, and that's the way trials come in our life, don't they? They never come again by themselves, but they're always multiplied one after another after another, like wave after wave after wave when we're trying to breathe. You know, and we can feel the anxiety, we can feel the worry, we can feel the consternation that takes again over us. You know, and that's where we come to chapter number 14, And as we come to chapter number 14, what we have here is something that the Lord Jesus Christ gives in order for the the disciples to overcome their anxiety, to overcome their worry, to overcome, again, the heaviness of these truths that they might trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter number 14 begins with a command. That's the main command that happens to me again right here. And after the command comes promises. And these promises are supposed, to, are supposed to help us to obey the command. And the command basically is at the beginning of the chapter. It is, let not your hearts be troubled. And the idea of trouble is that they might be overcome. That we might be overwhelmed by these things that happen to begin in our life. So much so... That worry, that fretting, that anxiety takes over our life. In other words, we're always thinking about these things. We're always concerned about these things. We're always overwhelmed by them. And this is a command that's given by our holy God, isn't it? You know, And the command, again, is do not be like that. Do not be overcome with worry in your life. You know, and when we look at our lives living in this fallen world, I think a lot of times we wonder, how can I not worry? How can I not be uh, overwhelmed with anxiety when you look at my life and you look at what I'm going through? You know, and that's where he says, you know, and we see right here, and this is a command also, but he's going to explain it, and it's basically this, believe in God and believe also in me. You know, and we tried to explain the structure of this command last time, and it's basically this. You are believing in God the Father. You are believing in the great God that happened to me again above. You believe that I am the Messiah. You believe that I am sent from God above. You believe again that he has a plan in sending me. Well, this is what I want you to do now. I want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in all of these tough truths that I have just given you, that they work for your good and will they'll ultimately work for God's glory. And I want you to put your faith, your trust in me. And then comes the comfort. Then comes the glorious, again, truths that, that make up this. You know, um, and that is basically that uh, after, his impen- after his impending death, that they are going to be with him in glory. And I love that, don't you? You know, because in chapter number 13, he talks about his death, his impending death. And then he tells them, you know, in the end, they're going to be with him in glory. And what's the message there? You know, I control this. All the horrendous, all the awfulness, all the sin, all the wickedness, all the evil that happened to be again right here. I use it in such a way that for my good and for your glory. And in the end, you're going to be over here. And the message basically is, if I promise this, and this is absolutely secure and this takes place, then I control everything that happens to begin in the interim, and I bring it about for ultimately, your good and your glory. Otherwise, there's an origin to destiny plan. And you can see that in verse number two, that promises, "Is in my father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? You know, and that's a wonderful promise. That's a promise that so many believers have really latched on to. You know, a popular way, especially in the early church, that they used to talk about heaven is they just didn't say heaven, but they used to talk about it as the the father's house. You know, this was a place. This was home. You know, and Jesus, again, makes sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's room for them. There is room being made by Jesus Christ, again, for them to come there. And the Father's house, again, speaks of heaven, again, in a very warm, relational way, doesn't it? You know, it's not cold. It's not distance. It's not just this geography that happens to be again right here. But it's home. It's where true peace. It's where true security is. It's where, again, our true hope should lie. You know, and the reason why he gives these truths, and I want you to recognize why he's giving these truths, right after he says, you know, all these terrible events are going to take place, this is what's going to come about, this is all by the plan and orchestration again of God. And the reason why he gives these these promises is whatever you hope in affects how you live in the here and now. Let me say that again. Whatever you ultimately hope in affects how you live in the here and now. So think of it. If I am living like this is all that there is and all that there is that happens to be around me speaks of how temporary life is, things are, relationships are, you know, then we're going to constantly worry. You know, if you live that way, if you have your ultimate hope in the here and now, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to be overcome if you're not overcome right now with worry and anxiety. You know, and for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be different, isn't it true? You know, we read over in Second uh, Corinthians chapter four and verses seventeen and eighteen. It says, "For this," and I, and I want us to see three words right after that. Take uh, take note of it. For this, and then we have what light, momentary affliction, right? Is preparing for us an and I want to see three words here: eternal weight of, and here is the third one: glory. So here we have light, momentary, affliction. Affliction means it's tough, but in the end, when compared to the end, it's only light that happens to be right here. It's only momentary. It only lasts in this life. But it's preparing us an eternal, something that is weighty, and something, again, that will last again forever, something that is absolutely glorious. You know, eternal weight of glory beyond all all comparison. Otherwise, there's nothing in this life that can compare to it. It's grand and glory. He says, as we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are what? Transient. That's why they they bring such consternation, such anxiety in our souls. But the things that are unseen, things which God has prepared for those who love him, are eternal. And that's our Father's house. You know, and this passage really causes us to take our gaze off all of our trials, all of our troubles, all of our anxieties, and and focus on the Lord. Focus on our great hope, And, and I want to be really clear on this. You know, by studying this passage of Scripture, our lives don't change, right? I will still walk out here with the same troubles, with the same anxieties, with the same, again... Uh, things and circumstances and relationships that I happen to begin in my life. What it does cause is us to live in light of this great God in the midst of all of our trials and all of our afflictions and all of our disappointments that I happen to be in the life with a joy, with a confidence that God will safely see me home and I can trust in him. So my great goal here tonight is really to lighten the load Somehow, again, take some of your burdens off your shoulders, and so much so that your focus is on the Lord and what he has truly promised us, the Lord again of glory. And so I just want to concentrate on a couple promises again tonight. And one of the promises that I want us to concentrate on tonight is that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. I think it's a wonderful promise, one that we don't think about again enough. And you can read it in verse number two because it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. You know, I think one of the things that are most shocking that happened to be again about our modern-day Christianity is how little people know about our final destination. I mean, think about it. How much do you know about heaven? How much do you know about the Father's house you know if you were to have a conversation or you were to explain about what heaven is like how long could you go on you know because it it is amazing you know if we planned a vacation let's say in december we're going to some far off distant land or we're going again on some sort of cruise or we're going to some destination where we always wanted to go what what are we going to do you know, between this time and this time. Well, we're going we're gonna to fact find. We're going to find out about the location. We're going to find out about the culture. We're going to find out about the weather. We're going to find out, again, if there's daily trips and things, uh, sites we ought to see. And then we're going to put some hope in it. We're going to get excited. You know, even though we have these trials, even though we have these difficulties, I have this trip, you know, that happens to me again right there. And here's the question. How much planning do we do for something like that? And how much do we know about our ultimate destination? I, I can remember a lady that I used to go visit in a rest home. And I can remember she was getting real low. And she was just about to depart from this world and go into the presence of our God. And I can remember I sat by her bed, and her eyes were closed, and she was sleeping. And I can remember her. she opened up her eyes, she rolled over and looked at me, and she said, oh, it's you, <laughs> and I said, "Why did you say that? <laughs> you know I, I don't know if my hair was out or anything. no, 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 no. She, she explained herself. She said, "I really hoped when I opened my eyes, I would see my blessed Lord." You know, it's amazing because she had all these family problems going on. She had all these financial obligations. You know that we really weigh on our soul, but they all seem to disappear in light of the glorious hope that we have in jesus christ and I wonder if much of the anxiety, much of the stress, much of the worry that we have in our life is because we don 't know about the destination we don 't know about what heaven is like we don 't know what it 's going to be like. In our Father's house. We haven't investigated what the word of God says about this glorious hope that happens to be again in Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus is doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going away. I'm not gonna be here. I know you've relied on me, you've seen me, you've had this wonderful fellowship. You know, you've trusted in me, and I'm going away. One of you are gonna betray me. Peter's gonna deny me these three dead days. And how does he try to alleviate all of that worry, all of that consternation? By pointing to what the destination is like, pointing to what its heaven's are like, pointing to what my Father's home is like. You know, and you see this in verse number two, because it's in my Father's house, there are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And what we said, again, the last time we were together, this is a real place, this is real geography, this is a real, again, uh, uh, location, Right? You know, uh, C.S. Lewis, in his great book, The Great Divorce, actually described these uh, tourists that went to heaven. And they couldn't get over how solid heaven was. That's the word that they used. It was real. You know, and it was so solid and so real. When they thought about earth, earth didn't seem as solid. It didn't seem as real because this was the great reality. This was the great destination. This was more real, more spectacular than anything that happened to be again here and now you know and Jesus says in his passage of scripture and I love it he says I am going away and guess why I'm going away I am going to prepare a place for you now here's the question how is Jesus and what is Jesus preparing for us I mean that's that's how we get hope right we want to understand it and the first way, the first aspect we have to understand is what he's talking about when he says, I am going away to prepare a place for you, he is, he's preparing that we might have access into the presence of this great God that heaven again in heaven. And think of what he's doing. He's going away, isn't he? Well, how's he going away? He's going away through the cross. And what's the cross? The cross is this bloody, awful sacrifice for sinners like us. Right? We don't look at our perfect life. And we realize this, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Nothing imperfect, nothing impure, nothing sinful, nothing tainted with sin can ever come into the presence of God. So what does Jesus do? Do He dies as that perfect propitiation. He dies as that perfect sacrifice for sin. And he brings this offering into the presence of God that we might come into the presence of God. It's like uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse number 12 says, he, speaking of Christ, entered once for all, right? There's nothing else that needs to be done. There's no other sacrifices. There's nothing that needs to be done. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and calves, but by means of his own blood. Otherwise, it was a sacrifice, his punishment that came on another, thus securing, look at what it says. Our eternal, right? Do you get that word eternal? How long does eternal last? And the answer is forever. Right? Our eternal redemption. Right? Comes in a holy place. Now, how can I come into the holy place where God is? How can I come into my Father's home? And here it is. Jesus has prepared a place. He's gone before me. You know, and it's a wonderful truth. You know, but really when we look at his path for Scripture, the main emphasis, because he's talked about this blood sacrifice, he's talked about his sacrifice, I come to give my life as a ransom for many. He's talked about to get that all along. But what he's talking about right here is an actual place, that he has gone to prepare a place for us. Now, here's the question. Who is Jesus? Jesus is, begins with a G. God, thank you, thank you. I had to give you a hint. He's God in human flesh, isn't he? And think of it. God created everything. How how long did it take him? It took him six days. I'm glad nobody said seven days. He rested on the seventh day, didn't he? You? you know, and I don't know about you, but one of the things I really enjoy and cause me to praise God is just looking at creation. I'm, I'm often, again, just taken aback from it. I can remember just sitting on my back deck just uh, this week, you know, when the sun was coming up, and all of a sudden I seen one of the flowers that happened to be on one of the bushes, and it just looked so spectacular. You know, I seen the white, and I seen these little red lines that happen to be there. I seen the yellow petals, and how they were all different that were coming out of it, and it was just absolutely spectacular. You know, and we can look all over creation, whether it happens to be the mighty Niagara, whether it happens to be the mountain range that makes up the Rockies, whether it happens to be the vastness of the oceans, whether it happens to be the beauty of a sunrise and all the spectacular colors that happen to be in the sky, or the sunset. And think of it, because it takes our breath away and it says there is an author of life, there is a creator of life, and it's this great God. And he made that in uh, six six days. How long has it been Jesus? I I love what John MacArthur uh, says here. If he made this in six days and he's gone to prepare a place, well, what must be heaven like? What must his glory be like? If all this, if we really look at it through eyes of faith, we see the glory of God, how much of the glory of Jesus Christ must sing out by this place that our Savior has gone to prepare for us? And think of it, because I'll be able to enjoy it, that glory that speaks of Christ, because I will have a perfectly sanctified heart at that time. You know, look at at the verse. Encourage yourself through this verse. It says, whatever you're going through, whatever trials, whatever difficulties, whatever stresses, whatever anxiety is going through, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And many times we look at that word again, prepare, and we wonder what it's going to look like. We wonder about the spatial elements, the architecture that happened to be right there. And we miss this this phrase right at the end and keep it up there just for a second because I go to prepare a place and it's real personal for you. Right? And it's meant to be read personal. It's meant to be read collectively as a people of God. It's for you, plural, but it's meant to be read personally for me, individual. I go to prepare a place for you. You know, he knows us. Think about it. All you who are parents, you know, when you're getting uh, your child's room or you're decorating your child's room, the reason why you decorate it a certain way is because you care and love them and know them. You know, so you might have a little girl and you put princesses or pink walls or whatever it happened to be, be all over. You know, you might put a little, I don't know, thing over the bed to speak again that she's royalty or whatever it happened to be. You might paint rainbows that happen to be again in there or whatever it happens to be, and you do that because you love your child. If you have a boy, it might be their favorite superhero. You know, you might paint it. You might have posters on the wall. You might have figurines that happen to be there. You might have a a, uh, bed covering, again, with that superhero that happened to be on there. And why would you do that? You prepare that room for your child in a certain way because you care and love them. Isn't it true? You know, if you have somebody over your house and you really want to make it special and you're this person that you have all over here in your house for a meal you, you, and, and you want them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that care and love them, what do you do? You make a great meal. You clean the house. You get their favorite dessert or whatever it happens to be, but you make this special. What do you do? You prepare. You know, if you happen to be a, uh, uh, a grandmother or a grandfather... And you have your grandchildren over, you get their favorite books out, you get toys out, you get all the goodies out, and you make preparation. And why? Because you care about them. My Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for you. It speaks of his love, it speaks of his goodness. It speaks of his grace. I love what Richard Phillips writes about this. He says how wonderful it is to find a room prepared after a long journey all who believe and trust in Christ can, find, can know that heaven has been prepared for their arrival. Our mediator and Savior has carried our names into heaven and made a reservation there for us. No Christian, think of this, I love this statement. No Christian will ever appear in heaven either unknown or unexpected. For Jesus has prepared a place there for each And everyone of his own, knowing and trusting in our prepared home, in the Father's house, is Jesus' antidote to the troubles and anxieties of life. Isn't it true? You know, when you think of these truths, you know, and we thought again earlier about some of our anxieties, some of our stresses. Don't our anxieties and stresses feel lighter because of this truth right here? Doesn't it? You know, this is what the whole... This is what comes next. I mean, it's an absolutely amazing truth. And think of it. Again, think if we would just meditate upon this and just grow in this truth that our Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. But not only that, if it couldn't get any better, it gets way better. And you know why? In his final destination, that when when Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, we will be always with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see this again in verse number 3 because we're looking at what it says. And I go and prepare a place for you that I will come again and take you to myself. And then he says this, that where I am, you may be also. Can you imagine? Have you ever imagined it? You know, going through the valley of death and closing your eyes And waking up, opening your eyes, and you're in the presence of Jesus. Have you ever imagined that? Have you ever wondered at the glory of all that? I mean, it is incredible, again, to think of because our eyes are not going to be fixated on the wonder of the architecture, although it's going to be wondrous, although it's going to be glorious. Our eyes are not going to be fixated on all the angels and how spectacular they look, and they will look spectacular. Our eyes won't even be fixed on the throne and what the throne looks like in itself. But our eyes are going to be fixated on none other than the Lamb of God. And I find it, again, it's absolutely amazing when we look at our world. Did you know there's a renewed interest in heaven? Did you know that? We live in what's called a postmodern society. Do you know what I mean by that? Modern society is basically this. You know, we look back a few years back and it's a modern society and it's basically all the trials, all the difficulties, all the um, ins and outs can be explained and can be conquered through the scientific method. In other words, science has to answer for all of our difficulties, for all of our trials. That's called the modern age. As people started living, as people started functioning, as technology started getting advanced and advanced and advanced, people understood that science doesn't have all the big questions. Can't answer the question, why am I here? You know, what's the purpose of life? You know, why is there a me and not a you? You know, why am I a me and, and you are you? It doesn't answer those questions. And so people again started um, speaking again in spiritual language. And they started talking about heaven. But you know the thing about heaven that people talk about now? They talk about this they talk about a Christless heaven. You know, I can hardly wait to get there. I can hardly wait to my rest. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus is not present. And let me just say this. If you call yourself a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you think about heaven, and you cannot imagine Jesus being there and central, I doubt that you're truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know why? Because the great reward of heaven is none other than to be with Jesus. And Jesus informs his disciples, guess what? You're going to be without me for a little while, right? And think of it, it's really going to be decades. But the reason why it's a little while is because it's measured with the end. Because you're going to be with me. And here's what he tells them: You're going to be with me forever and ever and ever and ever. Ever. That's the glory of the promise, isn't it? Because he says here, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. We've already, again, talked about that. And then he says this, I will come again and take you to myself. And then he says this, that where I am, you may be also. So he says he's coming again. You know, and you have this truth taught in other passages of Scripture, such as from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump, sound of the trumpet of God. And this is what will happen. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then he adds this, and I want you to get this. And so we will Always be with the Lord, right? right? He says, he says, know this truth. Know this truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be this mighty resurrection. I'm going to be with other believers, but I am forever going to be with the Lord. You know how First Corinthians chapter four ends? Does anybody know? They're here, amazing, isn't it? What do you do with these truths? Therefore, oh, what happens to the dead in Christ? What happens if persecution comes? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage your hearts. Now, think about it. How do we encourage our hearts with these truths? And one is, again, one that we already mentioned, and that is that Jesus is in control of everything, right? He's got this origin the destiny plan and it's specifically again about me it's specifically about you all of our major trials all of our major temptations all of our major stresses are in common categories but there is a specific life a designer life that happens to be yours and it's all mapped out it's all planned out by this great god that happened to begin above your life is unique from every single life and think of why we worry so much Think of why there's so much consternation, so much anxiety that happened to have in the beginning in our life. Because we think beyond a shadow of a doubt that things are out of control. And what Jesus is saying, no, no. No. Nothing's out of control. I have this origin to destiny plan, and nothing can stop the destiny that I have for you. And you know what it is? It's this. It is that you're going to be with me. And he says this encourage your heart. And let me ask you, whatever you're going through, does that encourage your heart? Does that encourage your soul that you're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the glory of heaven, again, is not the destination, although the destination will be spectacular. You know, there's very many popular, I would say, uh, Books and I'll put in quotation Christian books that I happen to be again out there, that uh, somebody, again, has had a near-death experience or somebody has died and come back to life and they've been translated into heaven, and they see Jesus there, but it's almost like a byproduct of everything else that takes their attention. And let me tell you, Jesus is the main, main person. He's the preeminent one that heaven is all about. He's the glory and, and purpose of our hope. He says, "...that where I am that you may be also..." Here in this verse and then over in Thessalonians, it says, And so you will always be with the Lord. And when you look at that, I think the reason why many times heaven and Jesus Christ do not hold our attention to this is my great hope, to be with him, is because I've never seen heaven. I've never seen the throne. How many of you, I I better not ask that. How many of you, have? well, I'll ask it anyways. How many of you have ever seen an angel? Right? How many of us have ever seen translucent streets of gold? And the answer is none of us. And the things that occupy our minds and our hearts, because I've seen humans. I've seen lots of them. You know, I'm looking at you tonight. You're looking at my ugly mug up here. Right? And we've seen that. And that's fairly common. But think about it. When I'm in heaven, I will have this perfect, sanctified humanity that will recognize the glory and worth of Jesus like I have never have here on earth. And it will rapture the entirety of my soul. And when you realize this, and, and let me just say this, this is not escapism Christianity. Right, I just want to escape all my difficulties. I just want to escape all my troubles, so I'm going to think about heaven, and I'm going to think about that because I've got such a miserable life. This is not escapism uh, Christianity. But the reason why Jesus is giving these truths to his disciples is that they might recognize who he is and his plan, even in the midst of all of their anxieties, even in the midst of all of their struggles, even in the midst of all the trials that happen to begin in their life, and that they might live for him. It's to cause, again, a joy, an overwhelming confidence in the great Christ that happens to be above. And the reason why you bring that up is because a lot of believers even look at this as escapism, right? Have, have Have you ever sat with somebody and said, you know, I can hardly wait to go to be with Jesus because I hate my life. I hate the people in my life. I hate everything that happens to me again about my life. I just want to go be, be with Jesus. Let, let me tell you, that kind of attitude has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with me. It has everything to do with my circumstance. And I'm not trying to say that life isn't hard. I'm not saying that life is not difficult or not challenging. But the reason why Jesus gives these truths is to cause perseverance, even joy in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles, That happened to begin in our life. And let me give you one verse that I think again is just key in this. And it happens to be over in Philippians one twenty one. And it says it says this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so when you think about it, what's Paul saying? And let me just say this about Philippians. Philippians is one of the most joyous books in all of the Bible. You know, here it's in the midst of church conflict. Here it's in the midst, again, of all these adversities, even false teaching trying to work itself again into the congregation. And it's a joyous book because it's centered on Jesus Christ. You know, and that's, that's Paul's big struggle in the book. You know, he wants to go home to be with the glory, but he loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants to live for him, and he wants to be such a blessing. And think about it, because that's what Christianity is, isn't it? Christianity is God giving us in the here and now, not just sweet by mouth, the here and now, fuller life. I have life that I never had before. He comes, here it is, he opens my heart, I see my sin, I see my need of Jesus, and all of a sudden he makes me a new creature in Jesus Christ, with a new passion, with a new love, with a new joy in Jesus Christ, and isn't it true? The best life, the best life that I could ever live, the most joyous life that I could ever live, is the one I'm living now. Can you think of anything better than to live for Christ? And the answer is, uh-huh, there's one thing. Right? This life is so good. Jesus is so sweet. He's really the fullness of my life that the only thing that could make my life fuller is more of Jesus. And how do I get more of Jesus? Jesus. For me to live is Christ. And here it is. To die is gain. Isn't it true? Right? Three views of death. Here they are. If I die, God will take everything good that really is good, that's really pleasurable, that's really worth living away from me. That's one view of death, isn't it? Here's another view of death. If I die, it'll be really good because I have such a terrible and awful life. You should see all of the trials, all of the pain in my life. And I'm not saying life is easy. It is very difficult. But you know what, it, what this means? If my circumstances were, were different, I'd want to stay. Right? It's much like this guy here. He's just got good circumstances. I don't have as good a circumstances. But if they ever changed in my life, I'd want to stay. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And here's the third one. Life is hard, but life is oh so joyous and full because I have Christ. And I can praise him. I can love him. I can serve him. I can tell about this great Christ and live for his glory. And if death comes, there is a fullness of of life in Christ. There's a fullness of Christ in my life that I've never experienced until I come into his presence. And so I want to come. I want to be with Jesus. You know, it's an incredible promise. Let me read it to you again. It says this, And if I go to prepare a place for you, Here it is. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I'm going to be where Jesus is. I'm going to see him face to face. And I'm going to be forever with him. And let me tell you, this is the warp and wolf of the hope of the word of God. Does anybody know how the word of God ends? It ends with this. Three things. And let me just tell them, don't put, uh, put, put that off for a second. Thank you. Thank you. It ends with three things it ends with promise, expectation, and praise in one short passage. Incredible, isn't it? Because that's the warp and wolf. There's a promise, it creates such an expectation in my heart. And that expectation leads to praise to my great God in this life. Now put it up. Mm-hmm. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 and following. It says, he who testifies to these things says, here it is, surely I am coming soon. Amen. That's promise. And listen to what it ends. Listen to what next. Because here's the expectation. Come, Lord Jesus. And here's the praise, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. We stand in that grace. It's amazing, isn't it? We carry all the burdens, all the anxiety, all the stresses, again, on our shoulders. And we think, this is never going to change. And our God says there's a finish line. And it's more glorious and wondrous than we could ever imagine. And think of it. Think of the glory about this. This is what I love about the passing of time. We are one, I just looked at the clock at 7 o'clock, we are one hour closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or being with him in glory than we were one hour ago. Right? Don't you feel lighter? Don't you feel all the things that have to begin on your shoulders all of a sudden? Yeah, nothing has changed, but it creates a way in handling all those difficulties and all those trials that happen to be in your life. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in these words of our Lord and Savior. Let's bow our hearts. Father, after this morning's hard message, that really detailed much of the sin, much of the hypocrisy, Lord, that many times we live with, and needs to be dealt with in our lives. God, it's amazing to come to this passage. Lord, in all the stresses, and we all live in this fallen world, we all live with disappointments. We all live with heartbreak. We all live with worry and anxieties. And we realize, Lord, that these things can become idols in our life, so much so that they become greater, and so much greater that we lose sight of you. Lord, where they seem to take a life on them own. And, Lord, when Jesus Christ says, let not your hearts be troubled, Lord, to be overwhelmed with anxiety is really sin. It's really an inability or an unwantedness to trust in you and your promises. And, God, to think that this life really is but a breath. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But, Lord, there's there's an eternity coming. And here's the amazing truth, Lord, that we've seen tonight in your word, and we realize that you're God who cannot lie, that there is a place for every believer who is trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's room there for him in the Father's house. And God, as we think of this great truth, as we think of the peace of being in the Father's house, the great glory of that truth, Lord, is that we are going to be with Jesus Christ. We're going to be with our Lord and Savior. Lord, we're going to be free from all anxiety, all stresses. Lord, all of the remnants, again, of the sin nature. And we will be able to celebrate all that Jesus is for us. And Lord, it will never get old. It will never become stale because we will be perfectly sanctified. We'll be able to enjoy Jesus moment after moment after moment. And Lord, all of God's people would say because of these great truths, come, Lord Jesus, come. And, God, that's our prayer tonight. Lord, not for the elongation of our trials, not for the elongation of life, not just for a happy life, Lord, but we want something eternal, something that's weighty, something, Lord, that lasts and lasts, something that is glorious, and that is to be in the presence of Christ. God, help us. Help us so much in our burdens. Help us so much in our anxieties to think of this great hope that you've given us into Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that we never walk alone, Lord, if we have any other brothers and sisters that are going through deep trials, may we come alongside and even encourage them in these great truths. God, I thank you that we're one hour closer to that finish line. Oh, God, to be in Christ's presence. We thank you for that great hope, and it's in his name we come tonight. Amen. Brother.